Well, good morning again, everybody. We are finishing up this week our look through Revelation of the seven churches. I'm going to say I'm a little sad. Revelation is my favorite book of the Bible. We'll be back in there at some point, but uh, we're going to be done with it for now. Uh, like I said, next week we have Jason Snyder coming, and then two weeks after that, I think it is, we'll be starting our, uh, our, our look through how to study the Bible um, and what that looks like. So that'll take us through October. Uh, so that's what that's looking like. I want to, before I start preaching, I was going to mention this in the announcements and I forgot it. Um, we have a couple of really cool things we're planning for Christmas, um, around Christmas time. Um, and so I want to paint the picture of one of them, one of them for you, just so you can have it in your mind, so you can be uh, praying about it, thinking about it, because we are going to need your help uh, with it. So for two years now, two Christmases, I should say, uh, Mom and I have been thinking about a, a sort of, call it a live nativity, but it's way more than that. And how can we make it work? What's it look like? What's it going to look like? And after the concert on, on Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, I went up to their house and I was like, we can't lose this momentum. We've gained so much momentum and I don't want to lose it. What can we do? And mom went, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I really want to do this Christmas thing we've been talking about for two years. So we sat down and kind of hashed out some of it. So I want to tell you some preliminary thoughts on what we're going to do, what we're planning. Nothing 100% set in stone, but just some preliminary ideas on it for what we're looking at. We want to tell the Christmas story through the eyes of Joseph. So what we're thinking is, you have people come in here. We're going to run it from 6 to 8, 5.30 to 7.30, somewhere around there. We don't have the time set in stone. And people can come at any point during that, and we'll bring them in here, and I'll be in here, and I'll be greeting them and talking to them and all that fun jazz. And then we're going to take them through three stations. The first station is going to be Joseph's Carpentry Shop, where we'll hear about the very beginning of the story and... Uh, they'll get to make something. We haven't decided yet what yet, an ornament of some kind, maybe a cross, something. We haven't decided yet, but something with wood. And then we're going to take them to the inn, and there they'll meet the innkeeper and the innkeeper's wife, and you'll hear that part of the story, and they'll be kicked out because there's no room at the inn. We'll give them hot chocolate and some bread and stuff like that, you know, and they'll be kicked out because there's no room in the inn. Well, they'll go outside to the live nativity. And the point of it being, so we tell the Christmas story, and then we want to connect it to Easter and do something similar at Easter. I'm thinking we can set up a cross out there in the field, and if somebody wants to volunteer to be crucified, no, just kidding on that part. But, so that's what we're looking at, and we're, we're looking at it and going, that's a family thing. It's not just for kids, but it would be to draw in families and tell them the Christmas story. It's free. It's not anything big, but it kills 15, 30 minutes, whatever, on a Saturday, Saturday night? I think we said a Saturday night, something like that. I think the 14th was the night we tentatively looked at and said, would this night work? So be praying about that, because here's the thing. We're going to need your help on that, because we need, we, we counted it out, a minimum of nine people, an innkeeper and an innkeeper's wife, somebody that's good at woodworking to be Joseph in the carpentry shop, me in here, that's four. Uh, three people to lead groups. And then you need a Mary, you need a Joseph, and you need a shepherd. Oh, ten. Miscounted by one. At least ten people. 
And we'd like more than that, right? Because you'd like to have some people like sitting in the inn, you know, just talking and stuff like that so that it feels kind of more like an inn atmosphere, stuff like that. So be praying about that and be praying about just God wants you to help us out with that because we're looking forward to it. It's in its preliminary stages, but we're, I, I won't say we're, I'm really excited. Programs aren't the end all be all. I've said that multiple times. I'll say it again. But God can use when you're willing to do to be used, he uses you to do some incredible things. And we think that that could be something incredible. Easy, but incredible nonetheless. So be praying about that. That's coming up Christmas. I know you're like, he's talking about Christmas already. You're dang right I am. Because Christmas is awesome. All right, now let's talk about Laodicea. That's where we are. We're in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. I'm going to read it. Revelation 3, 14 through 22. This is our last church. So let's see what Christ saved for last, shall we? To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. If I had written a sentence like that, my mom would have been mad. Too many ands. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Before we go into number one here and talk about Laodicea, I want to take a moment and talk about the very beginning. Remember, I said each one of these Christ is described as something different, in a different way. And in my opinion, and you might have a different one, that's all right. But in my opinion, the most powerful one was saved for last. The amen. What does amen mean? Why do we say amen at the end of a prayer? Let it be so, essentially. That's what it means. What this means, when, he, when Christ says, I am the amen, it means I am guaranteeing. I, what I say is truth. What I say comes to pass. Now, why is that the most important one to me or the most powerful one to me? Because I am 25 now, and I know people that are 100, and none of us has ever kept our word 100% of the time. Not a single person in history except for one has kept their word 100% of the time. Remember, this is the last book of the Bible. And you can look back at everything that was written, every promise that was made, everything Christ said he would do, everything Christ says he's going to do later on in this book, I guarantee it. I am the amen. I'm the one. And to me, that's so powerful because Ken sang a song on Sunday night, Remember to Remember. Is that the name of it? And the whole point of it is, listen, remember to look back on all that I've done so that when you're looking forward, you can walk in faith. 
And that's basically what this is saying to me. So I wanted to point that out because I feel like he ended it perfectly. I am the amen. I am the let it be so. Now let's talk about Laodicea here. Uh, Ian, you can put up the second map, that, uh, unless you guys want to see the first one, but we'll go to the second one here. So, it's about 90 miles east of Ephesus, where we started, and about 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia, or south, uh, uh, west, sorry, southwest of Philadelphia. Directions, you know, whatever. You can change that on your, on your note sheets, because I accidentally hit an E instead of W. This city was an extremely wealthy city, and most scholars believe for three reasons. And we'll get into those three reasons later, but I want to point out one of them to you right now. It was known for its medicine. It was known for its medicine. In fact, one of the things that it was most known for was a little tablet that they had that you mixed in water and it created a paste, a salve, that you put on your eyes. That's going to come back a little later. So this is a very wealthy city in Asia Minor known for its medicine. Now let's look at this scripture, this passage. Number two there. You're neither hot nor cold. How many of you, by a show of hands, knew that saying long before we read this passage of scripture today? Right? Yeah. How many times do you hear that? Well, you're neither hot nor cold, you're just lukewarm. But nobody seems to know where it's found. Like, if I just said that to you, it sounds like something Paul would say, right? Like, you'd find it in Romans or something like that. But here it is, it's Christ talking to this church, and he's saying, listen, you're not on fire for me, but you're also not cold. You're in this lukewarm, muddy state, and I hate it. I despise it. In, that, in the verse there, uh, verse 16, where it says, I will spit you out of my mouth, a little translation of that is, I will vomit you out. You disgust me so much, I want to vomit you out of me. It's kind of a disgusting picture. And that's how Christ describes this church. You see, it took me a while to figure out when I was younger, why does he say, I wish that you were hot or cold. Wouldn't you rather be? Shouldn't it be like hot's the best, lukewarm's the second best, cold's the worst, right? In our mind, that would make sense. But here's the thing. If you're on fire for God, you're just going to be going. That makes sense. We understand that that's the best. Think of it like this. You're in a river. And if that river is running and it's flowing really strong, it can't be stopped. It's so powerful. And then think of that river in the dead of winter. It's frozen over. It's not going anywhere. What does it take to get that river running again? Some heat. It's fairly easy to get those waters moving. But if that river is basically just a mud pit, it can't go anywhere. It's not really being stopped because it's not moving. And it takes way more than heat to get it going again. If you are a lukewarm Christian, you are stuck in mud. And if you've ever tried to pull your foot out of mud, it doesn't really move. You lose your shoe half the time. You gotta try to rip your own leg out. Or if you've got a car stuck in mud, it takes forever. It takes a ton of work to get it out. That's what makes a lukewarm church the worst. Because they're stuck. 
because they're not moving. But they go, well, I'm not cold, so I'm okay. And Christ says, no, no. See, I'd rather be you hot on fire for me, of course. Or I'd rather have you so cold that I can send something to shake you up. I mentioned when we talked about Sardis. That to that point, that was the worst church in my opinion. Christ didn't save the best for last. I think Christ saved the worst. This church that is lukewarm. That doesn't do anything. It doesn't move anywhere. This is a church that, you know what? They exist. And everybody knows the church is there. But they're not doing anything. And he gives the reason for their lukewarmness, right? Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, I'm in verse 17, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, they had become so caught up in the material world, this is a wealthy city. They had been caught up so much in the material world, they had lost sight of the spiritual world. And it only took 40, 50 years to get there. Because John's still alive. So it's not that long after Christ's death. We're not talking a few hundred years to get this church to this place of lukewarmness. No, you're talking a few decades. That's it. That's all it took. And they had become so raptured with their wealth, their physical wealth, that they don't even realize the state that they're in. They look at it and go, here's the thing, right? They looked at themselves and maybe Satan had deceived them so much that they said, I am so blessed. Look at all this money that I have. Look at all this land. Look at all these possessions. I must be doing so well because God is blessing me so much. Meanwhile, God's saying, I haven't blessed you at all. Look at yourself. You're blind. You're naked. You're wretched. You're miserable. Look in a mirror. But they can't see it because they're blinded by what we have, little green slips of paper. They would have had coins and stuff back then. It wasn't quite green slips of paper. How often do we not realize what state that we're in? But here's the great thing. Here's the great thing, right? Because number three, so number two was neither hot nor cold. Number three is another chance. Verse 18, I advise you, I advise you, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that shame of your nakedness will not be revealed in eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. We're talking about how to study your Bible, right? We're going to be talking about that. Here is a section where you're going like two or three layers deep in how to study your Bible about why does Christ talk about this. Most scholars say there were three things that made Laodicea a wealthy city. Number one, it was the center of banking in Asia Minor, think of it as Switzerland, Swiss banks, right? So they had a ton of money. Oh, wait, what does Christ say there? I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. Number two, it was known for its wool cloth trade, for its clothing and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And then the third thing I already mentioned, it was their medicine. And I mentioned the eye salve that they had. Oh, look at that. An eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, we, ca- we take the spiritual things out of that as we should, but we don't realize that Christ is literally attacking the very things that they think make them so wealthy. And the person reading this would have gone, wait, hold on a second. I'm a banker. 
wait, hold on a second, I have wool cloth, or I'm, I'm in medicine. Why is he saying that about me? He takes the very things that they said, well, I'm wealthy, and he says, no, 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 no. I have these things. I'm the one that gives. I'm also the one that takes. So come to me for your things. You see, yes, they had physical wealth. They may have had physical health, and they were able to cover themselves physically, but they had no spiritual health in them at all. Their garments were just these dirty rags that couldn't cover them in any way. Their wealth wasn't going to go with them when they went to heaven. And yeah, they might have had physical health, but they were blind to everything around them that God was trying to do. And he says, listen, come back to me. I'm the one that has it, not you. I'm the one that has it. He continues on there in verse 19. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. How many of you heard when you were kids and being disciplined? I'm doing this because I love you. Bullcrap. If you loved me, you'd let me have mercy in this, right? Maybe. Because there are times God gives mercy. But he says right here, if I love you, I reprove you. I discipline you. I don't give up on you. As I'm older now, and I can look back at my own childhood, I can go, man, the amount of times, and I'm sorry if you're PC, but this is how it's going to happen. The amount of times my dad bent me over with the back of a chair and hit my butt. I'm a good man because of that now. You're wondering, the back of a chair? Yeah, you ever see the back of a chair? It, gets, it has like a, a, a small circle, and then it widens out, and then it goes back to the small circle, the, like the wooden back chairs. He had one of those. That was the spanking stick. One year, one time, this kid over here, oh, he's trying to leave, too late. This kid over here, he hit it. He tried to hide it on Dad. That didn't work out well. I was smart enough at least just to take my beating, and try to learn a lesson sometimes. But right, I knew, I can look back now and I can know that my dad, my mom, they loved me because they did not allow me to remain who and what I was. They said, I'm not giving up on you no matter how many times you make the same stinking mistake. I'm not giving up on you. And God says the same thing. The fact that he's writing this to them, the fact that he writes to Pergamum, to Sardis, to Ephesus, put them up there, Ian, to all of those churches that are up there, the fact that he's writing to them says, I have not given up on you yet. My love for you has not died. It never will. So take your discipline. Take your reproving. Now here's the thing, I love this, because Christ doesn't say, to those whom I love I reprove and I punish. He says, I discipline. What's the difference? Punishment is for the sake of harm, basically. It's just to prove that you've done something wrong. It's not to show you better. It's not to teach you. Discipline is to teach you a lesson. Not, oh, I'm going to teach you a lesson, but I'm going to teach you this. Because you've got to learn. Because you've got to grow. Take Romans in this and throw it in there. To those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline so that you may become more like my son. So that you may become more like me. So be zealous and repent. Be on fire for me and repent because the fact that I'm writing to you means I'm not done with you yet. 
I'm going to give you a second chance. There are people that ran out of second chances. If you remember, we looked at, um, oh, now i got to remember. It's not Philadelphia. we got to go back. Is it Pergamum? This is not good. Thyatira. There it is. That's the one I was looking for. Quick reading. Thyatira, where you have this woman who they called Jezebel, who he says, I'm coming, and I'm going to wipe her out. He doesn't say that to the church. He says, listen, I'm coming. I'm standing at the door. I never left. I love that, those next verses. Behold, I stand at the door. I'm in verse 20, and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, and he will dine. We'll dine with him, and he with me. He never left. You shoved him out and closed the door, but he never left. He stood there in the rain, in the wind, in the cold, in the heat. He stood there knocking, waiting for you to open up again. He didn't walk away. Now, maybe you can't hear him because you're blasting the music too loud in the house or you're watching TV or maybe you said, he makes me stay awake. I don't want to be awake. I want to go take a nap, so I'm just going to put him outside for a little bit. And that was 20 years ago. He's still at the door. And yeah, yeah, you open that door, there's going to be some repercussions. There's going to be some discipline. But it's because he loves, not because he's mad. There'll be a day when he punishes the earth. Notice in Revelation, when it talks about what he does to the earth, he does not say, I'm going to discipline it. No, his wrath is poured out on the earth to punish it. His discipline is poured out on you to teach you. So here we are. We finished seven churches. Each one of them had their own issues, except for Smyrna. Smyrna, he said nothing bad about, if you remember. That church, they were just having a ton of persecution that was coming for them. All of us fall into these churches at times. Some of us have been there for a very long time. Maybe you're like Ephesus. You can go ahead and put them up there, Ian. Maybe you're like Ephesus. Right, you still work, you still do, but there's no love in your heart. Maybe you're like Smyrna and you're working hard and you know what Christ says? Yeah, there's things we need to work on, but I'm here to warn you, persecution's coming because you're on fire for me. We're like Pergamum or Thyatira, or Sardis, whatever, or Philadelphia, whatever one you are, where are you right now? Here's the thing. Some of you aren't going to like this. I hope all of you aren't going to like this because I don't like it. I've been Laodicea many times in my life. I've been Ephesus. I've been these different churches. And yeah, I'm calling you out because I'm saying you are these different churches. How do I know it? Because you're human. Because we all make these mistakes. But as we end, let me say this. If you've closed the door, whether knowing it or not, if you pushed him out and closed the door, he's still there. He's still knocking. He's saying, let me in. I want in. I want to love you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going. Yeah, I might have to discipline you some. Maybe for some of us, it's mercy. He's shown me mercy more times than I can count. But maybe it's some discipline because he says, listen, you're not going to learn your lesson without this. Who are you today? And who are you going to be tomorrow? Because there's a world out there that desperately needs you. There's a world in here sitting next to you that desperately needs you. So who are you going to be? 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this love, for this, this fact that y- you don't leave us behind, that you still love us. And the fact that you're here willing to walk back in shows us that. Father, I pray for each and every one of us, wherever we fall, in the good or the bad, hot or cold, lukewarm, wherever we be, Father, I pray that you would help us to strive to become more, to become more like your son. Each and every moment of each and every day, Father, we praise you, and it's in the name of your son we pray. Amen and amen.